if you are taking over a failing territory, or if your territory is not performing the way it should, this is the episode that you should listen to and you should share with other people. Or if you're listening, share it with somebody else who's going through this. Because there are three things that I'm going to share right now that I have done in my career that have turned around failing territories. And really, these three are are very broad, and there's a lot that can go into it. It's part of a process. But just as an overview, there's three things you can do. And the first one is something I like to call the PPF method. Okay. And this is a way, this is a framework and a process. When I look at anything that I take on, PPF, past, present, and future. And I look at those as states, uh, periods of time. And so you don't know where you're going unless you know where you came from and you know where you're starting. Okay. So you got to look at the past. You got to do the the present. That's the only time you're going to know how to get to the future is if you evaluate all the, all the things that have come before it. So now, of course, if you're starting and you have a brand new territory, there is no past or there could be, you'd never know until you inspect it. So what I would do is I would look back in the past. I would take a look at the numbers. I would see who, where the business was coming from, evaluate what's the baseline. Okay. And the baseline would draw into the present, but I want to know, have you lost, have there been any customers that have been lost? Are there any opportunities to repair those fences, to, to, to build a bridge back to those former clients? And then the present is, again, the baseline. Where are we today? And then the future is, where can I take it with those prospects, those clients, and those individuals? And when you start to create those three buckets, you start to see the customer's journey, the customer arc, and you start to understand how you can make an impact on your territory. And that's the first thing you have to do. You have to have a realization, a come to Jesus moment. Okay, this territory is in the dumps. It's not going to stay in the dumps for long. So you want to know what have they done now early in my career? I did rely too much on the previous sales rep or the previous manager to tell me kind of what was happening. And then I realized, wait a minute, why am I taking advice from this person? Because they failed. Now, I I still want to know what happened. I want to know the circumstances around why this area failed. And then I just want to kind of file that away in the back of the mind. But I'm not going to let that dictate what I'm going to do going forward. And then where are they today and where can it be in the future? And so it's great. What I used to do is I'd first start with the company. I'd always talk to the previous rep. I'd always kind of get their side of the story. And then after hearing their side of the story, I would talk to the manager. And when I was with enterprise and when I was managing, I would talk to the employees and I'd say, tell me about the branch. Tell me about what is happening here. What are the struggles, et cetera. And they would tell me, well, this is this, this problem, this problem. We're doing this. Okay. And it starts to paint a picture because what you want to do is you want to have a crystal clear picture of where you can make your impact as fast as possible. And if you just show up and just start working, you're not really going to know if you're being as efficient as possible. So that's number one, the PPF method. Number two, look for inefficiencies. Okay. I'll never forget. I was working for a company and I was selling post-procedure kits. And my manager came to me one day and said, hey, there's a sales rep who's not really performing 
well. And I think she's either going to quit or we're going to let her go. And I, I said, okay, <laughs> kind of thinking to myself, what does this have to do with me? And she said, would you like to take over that territory and just add it to your territory? And I said, okay, well, where's her territory? I said, it's in Charleston. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. Yeah. It's, I mean, I had down to Columbia. So just, you know, creating a little, a little peninsula off my territory and Savannah, Georgia. And I said, okay, great. So they gave me the territory and I said, you know, so I started asking, okay, well, why, why is this territory underperforming? And they said, we don't know. There's a lot of big accounts here, but they're just not purchasing. They're not buying product. And so what I did was I first went to the list of the people that were the biggest clients. Okay. And what you want to do is when you want to look for inefficiency, that is another phrase for find the low hanging fruit that might not have been picked off the tree by the previous person running the business. And I found a ton of those and I started interviewing people. I started asking 10 questions deep. In one of the big accounts, I found out there was massive, massive disconnect between the way that the, the offices thought of the product and how the product should have been talked about. I also found an inefficiency in the process. So I'll, I'll give an example. It was post-procedure kits. They were uh, silicone products that would go on post-procedure and it, it would help with wound healing. It would speed up the process. So I walked into this massive dermatology surgery center in Savannah, Georgia. And I talked to the office manager and they said all the same things. And they said, oh, we love the product. And I'm sitting here looking at the sales orders. They had not ordered a single product in 11 months. And I said, okay. And again, I went 10 questions deep. I kept asking questions. So this is what I went through. I said, what, if I come in and let's say I'm going to have surgery and you're going to recommend the product, walk me through if I'm a patient. So this is the office manager. But I found out through asking questions is that she was the one that was coordinating with the physicians because the physicians were really busy. They didn't have time. So what happened was the previous rep would talk to her and then she would communicate to the staff exactly what to do. Now, right off the bat, I know that's an inefficiency. I want to have direct communication with staff and I want to tell them. But first, I want to find out the, the P, the first P, where, where are we? Where have we been? Okay. And so what she said was, when a patient comes in, what we do is we give them a sample of your product and then they go home. And if it works for them, they, they come back or they call us and then they buy the product. And I and right off the bat, that's the problem <laughs> right off the bat. Um, if anybody knows about selling and direct sales and selling into medical offices, very rarely, this is not pharmaceuticals, you know, pharmaceuticals where they have to be on it for a long time or they have to use it. And so you get a couple samples just in time for them to get the product in the pharmacy. But if you're getting a post-procedure product and our product, the products work very good. And what happens is samples get oversampled. You know, the patient's like, well, give, just give me some more samples. And the the clinic is thinking they're doing right by the patient. The process was way off. So I asked, I said, is there a, um, tell me about these samples because we don't sample as a company. 
And the originally what the samples were for, and I hope I have not gotten you all confused. I'll try to reel this back in, but the samples were used exclusively for trade shows and to open up and show the viscosity, the stickiness, how it, how it, it, glide, it would glide on the skin of the people you were presenting to. These were not intended to be given to patients and have them try it out and then take them home. That was never the intent of what these were for, but that's what the previous rep was using them for. And this was all over the territory. Every office I went into, they were absolutely loaded up with samples. So I started digging in. I said, okay, I think this is where the failure was. Now, I don't I don't denigrate any previous rep, but having gone from the pharmaceutical world, which the previous rep did not, this rep was not in the pharmaceutical world, so did not understand what happens when you give a sample. And the whole, what that does to the patient, the mindset, and where the leaky bucket could be. So the first thing I did was I asked the office, okay, so usually what samples were intended for, because those samples are really expensive, and they were, I was not making it up. Their samples are very expensive to make because they're tiny little sachet packets, they're individual, and you know, it's one of those things where you can't just use one. You're going to have to use like four. And I said, how many samples are we giving out? She goes, we're usually giving two boxes. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. Basically, it was about $30 for every patient was walking out the door of my former, one of my former company's product, $30 just given away for free. And I said, how many surgeries are you doing? How many surgeries are you doing a day? And they said, we're doing about 15. I said, okay. I said, is that 15 total or is that 15 per physician? She goes, oh, that's per physician on surgery days. And I was like, oh my gosh. So then I started asking, okay, how many of the physicians are surgeons? How many people are doing surgery? Three. I think you know where I'm going with this. That's 45 surgeries a week that patients were being being given $30 worth of product and they were walking out the door and nobody was making money because this was also product that the office could sell. So they're not making money. The company that I used to work for, they were hemorrhaging money all because of something that the previous rep thought they were doing something good, but in actuality was crushing her business in a bad way. And she was doing this all over the territory. And there was not a lot of guidance that was coming from upper management when it came to this. So there's really no fault. It's just, you know, tried something, but um, just didn't necessarily have the background that I did to immediately be like, whoa. Okay. So the first thing I thought was, all right, I, um, I have an opportunity to redo the process. And so... I started talking to the office manager and I said, you know, I asked a bunch of questions and I knew I wasn't going to solve this problem in the first call. And I wanted to think about how I was going to do this. So I said, I tell you what, I don't think that's going to be as efficient because I looked and they had tons of product, tons of product. And the first thing I had to figure out was why are they still using the samples? Because the product had been on the market for about 18 months. 
So I, I asked, and I, so I said, I, I just need to talk to Dr. I think it was Dr. Smith. I can't remember his name. Um, I want to talk to Dr. Smith. So I talked to Dr. Smith and I said, Dr. Smith, you know, start going through. And I said, what are your thoughts on our product? He goes, love it. Absolutely love your product. Your product. I mean, I've seen some miracle results when it comes to healing post-surgery using your product. Fantastic. That's really all I needed to know. And so I went back to the office manager and I said, you know, Dr. Smith loves the products. I talked to the nurse practitioners. I talked to the PAs, I talked to the other surgeons. They all love the product. Everybody loved the product. They thought it was fantastic. In fact, whenever anybody has any kind of cuts, scrapes, burns, whatever, they would use our product. It was great. It was an unbelievable product. And I, I created a new process. I said, okay, here's the deal. You all love the product, correct? And they're like, yes, we love the product. Okay. So this is what's happening. Patients are getting samples. And they're getting two boxes worth. That's what I was told. And they're going home. And what's happening is their skin's going to heal no matter what. So using our product doesn't necessarily mean the skin's not going to heal. It just means it's not going to heal as quickly and it's not going to heal as cleanly. However, you've now put a massive hurdle in front of your patient. And that hurdle is the patient has to come back in the office to pay for it. If you believe in this product, why not offer it right then and there? And when I said that, it was like a light bulb went off for all of the people in the office. And, and the physician was like, yep, let's do that. No more samples. Let's just offer it. Because they had purchased product that was still sitting there. And they needed to move that product. But they also wanted to have the best experience. Because here's the problem. You might be thinking to yourself, well, everybody just wants to make money. It's not about that. The amount of samples that they were given, it wasn't going to fully heal using the product. It was just enough to get it over the hump that they they would think to themselves, the patient would think to themselves, well, I don't need this anymore because I'm already healing. There's a, there's a longer process to healing on the skin than most people, the layperson, think. They look at it and they think, well, my skin, you know, it's my skin's closed together, so it's healed. No, it hasn't. You know, if there's still discoloration, there's going to be possibly be a scar. And that's not what people want because then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, there's a scar. Well, yeah, you've just disrupted the skin barrier and you've put the, put the pieces of skin back together and they didn't heal properly. And there was probably a little bit of bacteria that got in there and there's a little bit of an infection because you didn't use a wound dressing. You know, you used enough in the early stages, but you have to use it all the way through. So there's 14 21, 28 days, you need to use the product, but the samples only got you through the first eight to 10 days. You still need to use that product past that. So the patient's outcomes weren't as good. And that's what the office was concerned about. Because if anybody didn't heal properly, there was only one person they were going to blame. And that was the physician. That was the office. And so they understood they could lose business. So that was the whole thing that I was talking about when I learned. It wasn't about the features and the benefits of the product I was selling. It was about the future state of everybody that I was talking to. And it was, if you want to make sure that your patient heals perfectly, use our product. And I talked about, if they don't heal, what are the ramifications? And I had physicians that were like, they're going to blast us on social media. They're going to blast us on a Google review. And then we can't defend ourselves because it's out there in the public sphere. And I said, why put, why put yourself through that? 
I also I didn't need to teach the physicians about silicone because it wasn't a new formulation. It was just the product I was selling was a fast drying type of silicone wound dressing. It was a liquid that once it dried, it was almost like a sheet, but it didn't, it allowed the skin to breathe. Like I said, to this day, it's one of the best products I've ever sold. So there was a nuance of how it needed to be presented to the physician, but I really hammered home that future state. I didn't talk about features and benefits in the beginning. I just talked about the future state. I asked questions about the future state. I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but number two is look for inefficiencies. Just making that shift in six offices in the Charleston, Mount Pleasant, uh, Savannah area, I did almost $14,000 of business a quarter extra than the previous rep. Doing nothing else. I did have some new accounts that I brought on, but doing nothing else, I added $14,000. That's a lot of silicone tubes, ladies and gentlemen. Just by that one change, $14,000 worth of silicone tubes increase. Just by focusing on that one inefficiency, it was the process of how the patient actually got the product, the process of how the office communicated the product to the patient. Again, it's all process. Folks, if you if 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 I'm gonna repeat anything over and over and over and over again, process, process, process. Okay. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to come up with any super catchy marketing. A lot of it has to do with inefficiencies and a lack of optimization of the process. Focus on the customer, the end user, their journey. What does that look like? If you don't have an opportunity to be a product of the product, think about, okay, if a patient walks in and is going to use my product or service, or if a company is going to use my product or service, what does it look like? How are they going to end up and how is their life going to be better? And focus on that bringing up and and referencing where they've been in the past, where they are today, and then where they're going to be in the future. And the PPF method is everywhere, all over the place. You can you use it all the time. You may not know that's what you're doing, but you're using the PPF method. So number 2. So number 1 is the PPF method for the territory. Okay? That's how you can see again where inefficiencies are in your territory, but number 2 is look for inefficiencies in your territory, low-hanging fruit, where you can immediately make an impact to grow your business. A lot of times I would find these inefficiencies and that's one of the reasons why it wasn't, you know, that's the reason why my, my territories grew and they grew fast from the beginning, right out of the gate. It wasn't necessarily that there was any massive overhaul of the territory. I didn't reinvent marketing and sales. I saw that there was an inefficiency and a process in a lot of these businesses and a lot of these accounts, and I quickly solved it. Now that takes, it takes, it took more than a decade for me to figure out maybe 12 years in sales to figure out, but I still kind of did the same thing early in my career. You just kind of notice things that just don't seem right. And as a consumer, as a customer, I'm, I've always loved process as far as I can, I can think. And maybe that's because I was an athlete 
you know, I played professional baseball for two years and maybe that's because I'm, I, you know, there's a process again, you have to, in order to, to have an at bat, you have to have a bat on and a helmet and you have to have a uniform because you're playing on a team. You got to have cleats and you have batting gloves and you'd practice and you walk up to the plate and then there's a maximum of four balls or three strikes, whichever happens first, unless you hit the ball in fair territory, you either get on base or you're out. So there, there's a process to sports. And so I've always been process driven. How can I be more efficient? And so that kind of bled over into my professional career. But I'll tell you this, that that is one of the things that you can do the fastest is look for inefficiencies. Okay. And then the third thing, remember, I told you there's going to be three things you can do to grow a failing sales territory immediately. Number three is make it your own. What you want to do is you want to take ownership of that territory. You want people to start thinking about your product and you in the same sentence, not your company, the product. This is one of the things that I despise about some companies. And I get it. They're big companies, what have you. But when I look at name tags of other reps that walk in, I don't understand why it has the company's name and why it doesn't have a few of the products names. It's free advertising. It's free advertising. In fact, a couple companies that I had had the name tags with it on there, the, the products. And I thought it was brilliant. In fact, I recommended it to one of my companies and one of my companies um, put, put the products on the name tag. It's just little things like that, but make it your own. When you walk in, it's not Mike with X company. It's Mike with X product or service, you know? That's what you want to do. You want to take ownership of the territory. You want to make it your own. How do you do that? You work your ass off. Okay. You are out there hustling because what's going to happen is if you work harder than the previous sales professionals that might've carried your product or service, they are going to forget about them immediately. You are going to be the new face of that product. I mean, it happened so many times. I can't tell you. Where, where I'd be talking with a doctor. I was in the medical pharmaceutical space for a really long time. I'd be talking with a doctor and they could not remember the name of the previous rep. I knew I had done everything properly when that happened. They had forgotten about everything. It's kind of like if you meet the right person, you kind of forget about all your exes and every other person because it doesn't matter anymore because you see a future with this person. Make it your own. And when, by making it your own, it also means use your own language. Obviously, companies want you to approve what you say. You can't say anything wrong, but make it your own. Put it in your own in own words. Don't just copy what somebody else did. And if it doesn't feel, if it feels fake, it feels a robotic, make it your own. I'm a conversational seller. I want to get to know the person. I want to know what they t- why they tick. When I say conversational, I'm not talking about small talk. Oh, how's the weather? Oh, yeah, you know. I'm talking about I want to know the whys. What are the whys behind the decisions that they make in the past, in the present, in the future? Again, it's PPF, same thing everywhere. I want to know I want to know the why. So it's conversational. I like to ask questions. I probably did go into the wrong the wrong business in the pharmaceutical world because a lot of times you only get like 30 seconds in a hallway. 
But I didn't know at the time. You know, you get 30 seconds in a hallway, sometimes 15 seconds. I'm not as I'm not as great doing a 15 second because I want to get to know the person. I want to ask questions. I want to have long form talks. Sometimes it just didn't allow that. But make it your own. So in summary, there's three things you can do to grow a failing sales territory today. Number one, PPF method. Apply it to every single facet of your business. Understand where the pro- the territory has come, where the territory was, excuse me, where the territory is today and where the territory is going in the future. And do that with every account as well. It's not just you. It's not just the business as an as a as a whole. It is every single account. It's like a little micro territory with inside your business. Every single person that walks in the door, every customer, every client, every prospect, there's a PPF, okay? They've had some interaction. So if, if they're not showing up, they've given you no business, you start pretending they're unaware. Are you familiar with our product or service? Maybe they are aware, they just haven't trialed. And again, it's just trying to get them unaware, aware, trial, user, advocate, moving them along the customer journey, the five stages of a customer experience. It's moving them along that process, but it's understanding what they've been exposed to and where you can take them. And then number two, look for those inefficiencies. There's always something you can tighten up. And three, make it your own. This is your business. Even if you're working for a company and you have a territory, treat it like it's a, treat it like it's a franchise. Treat it like you are running a business within a company. Make it your own. Put your stamp on it. Thank you so much. If you're listening to my voice right now, you have stuck with me through the entire episode. Um, I hope I was not rambling, trying to uh, relive those stories. But uh, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Hope this helps. Um, I feel like I've got a lot of experience taking over failing territories. I don't know what it's like to really take over a dynamic territory that's robust. And, you know, I walk in and just rinse and repeat what the previous professional could do. I, I never had that. So I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to take um, an, a, a high achieving, high performing territory because <laughs> I never did it. So it's usually one of the reasons why the territory is always open and available was because it was failing. Previous rep wasn't hitting numbers, et cetera. So. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Um, hopefully, again, this is the day number two of the new format where it's just no frills getting into it. People are busy. They just want to hear the content. They don't want to hear any music, et cetera. So I'm cutting out all the music and you're going to see some changes. Um, just going right into it, trying to give as much meat as possible and uh, as little fluff as possible. So please reach out. I really do appreciate people that do. Mike at survivingoutsidesales.com. Uh, still working on my website. Hopefully it'll be done in the next week or two. There's a lot of content on there. And uh, then that's going to kind of be the portal of how you can communicate with me besides just an email address. There's a form you can fill out. There's other free resources that'll be on there. And there's also going to be content. So I'm very excited about that. It's been a passion and a labor of love going back to shoot September of last year. Uh, it's a very long process, but uh that should be happening in the next couple of weeks. So thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Hope everybody has a great rest of their day and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Surviving Outside Sales. Bye-bye.